Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and in today's episode, we are talking to Oakland A's catching prospect, Kyle McCann, who had a breakout season this year after a rough year in 2021, really bounced back in a big way this year, launching 20 home runs, looking better basically across the board. You pick a statistic, he's improved there, has improved his defense behind the dish as well. A powerful left-handed bat as a catcher is always valuable, and he talks about wanting to cut down on the strikeouts a little bit more as he goes into next season, uh, which we presume will be at the AAA level, but he did cut down the strikeouts a little bit this year. But more importantly, just a ton of production with the 20 home runs, got on base at a higher clip, obviously hit for a much better average. Everything across the board was awesome from Kyle McCann this year, and I know the Oakland A's have to be extremely pleased with the leap that he has made. Really fun conversation as well. A very laid back guy who's just fun to talk to. I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. Very transparent about, you know, his journey through the last couple of years and, you know, kind of his experience climbing through this Oakland A system and even going all the way back to Georgia Tech where he started his collegiate career backing up Joey Bart and then takes over that starting role uh, behind the dish. He had played at first base while Bart caught because the bat is so good Uh, but just his learning experience there catching Xavier and Curry all of these really interesting things that he was very detail oriented about when he broke it down and it was really fascinating to hear about all of this stuff from Kyle and we talked about a lot more beyond that before I kick it to the interview with Kyle McCann a couple little housekeeping notes and some things happen around the minor leagues even though uh, the season is winding down here we're going to get one last start from Grayson Rodriguez and Yuri Perez at the level that they're supposed to be at right Grayson Rodriguez returns to AAA for the Orioles will make a start which is extremely exciting he's made a couple rehab starts already but makes his return to AAA this has to just feel really good for him for the Orioles because I have a good feeling that he can break camp with the Orioles next season and even just making that one last full health start at the end of this year has to have the team and Grayson feeling really good going into the offseason feeling like he's at 100% and was able to work back from the injury before the season was over same story from Yuri Perez not as much of an injury it seemed like it was more of a maintenance thing Craig Mish had even reported that from the Miami Herald and he said it just seemed like more of just a preserve the innings type of IL move even though he had a little bit of a tweak in there they probably wouldn't have had to put him on the IL uh, but Yuri was already well above any threshold he's already ever had in the past so two of the best pitching prospects in baseball make the return to their levels today with 
Marlins prospect Yuri Perez going back to double-A Pensacola and Grayson Rodriguez to triple-A Norfolk. Really excited to watch those two outings today. I think both of them are going to make up for lost time with a dominant outing as both teams were very careful with their arms. Uh, I think both of those guys could have come back a little bit earlier, but I'm all for taking your time, especially when there's no reason to rush them back at this point in this year and in their development stage of where they are at. Both have their eyes on making a big league impact in 2023. Grayson Rodriguez by opening day. Yuri Perez, I wouldn't rule it out because he's so talented, but I think you'd see him more likely by mid-season. Also, a couple of the younger guys getting the bump up to double A because this high A season is over. Excited to see some more ABs from Jason Dominguez, Jackson Chorio uh, as we wind down this minor league season. A couple of notable performers yesterday on the farm across the minor leagues. You also had Gordon Graceffo just continuing to shove. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals pitching prospect in double A has just been dynamite. He goes against the Tulsa Drillers last night which is the Dodgers double-A affiliate. Plenty of good bats there. Goes six innings of one-hit ball, no walks, nine strikeouts. Graceffo looks really darn good and is a name with a lot of helium right now in the prospect world. Chase Silseth of the Angels, dynamite in his own respect, double-A as well in that Angels organization. He went against Birmingham, excuse me, the White Sox double-A affiliate, another really good lineup, and he went six innings, two hits, no earned runs, three walks, nine Ks. That's another ridiculous outing. Tommy Mace, Ryan Pepiote both had strong outings as well. Tink Hentz continues to shove. This was a low-A playoff game uh, for whatever that's worth, uh, but he was pitching on a baseball field against hitters who were trying to hit, and he continued to get them out. So Tink Hentz continues to do that. He went four innings. They haven't stretched him out too, too much, especially at the end of the year here, but four innings, two hits, no walks, three Ks, no runs. Uh, another just really good outing from him. One other guy I wanted to highlight because I think he's going to you know, keep this momentum going into next year, and I think he could be a breakout candidate. Slade Ciccone in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. He punched out nine in A against San Diego's affiliate in six innings, only surrendered two earned runs and only walked one. Speaking of the Diamondbacks, one last guy to mention is Dre Jameson. And we've been talking about Jamison a little bit, who uh, struggled in AAA, as many fastball-heavy pitchers do. We talked about Ryan Nelson and how he was a victim of that. But what did Ryan Nelson do once he got out of that brutal environment? He went up to the big leagues and carved for seven innings. Guess what Dre Jamison does in his big league debut? He goes up to that level and carves for seven innings. Very fastball-heavy but dominated with that fastball, and it was fun to watch. Four-seamer at the top of the zone in the upper 90s, heavy sinker in the more mid-90s, and then also a slider that works really well off of that, which got plenty of whiffs. Three three strikeouts on the fastball, the four-seamer that is, one strikeout on the slider, and a strikeout on the changeup as well. Showed a little bit of everything. I think Dre Jameson's going to be a really solid pitcher for them. We'll have to work through some things, as Ryan, Ryan Nelson will too, uh, but both these guys have a lot to like, and both have some of the more electric fastballs you're going to see. Without further delay, here is the interview with Oakland Athletics prospect Kyle McCann. And I'm joined by Kyle McCann, catcher in the Oakland Athletics organization. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time and congratulations on a great season so far as it's winded down. I appreciate it. Good to be here. So a lot of things I want to talk about going all the way back to your experience at Georgia Tech and your incredible finish to your career there that helped you get drafted in fourth round uh, 
to Oakland and then building off of that and having the big year that you've had this year, just recently hit your 20th home run. Congratulations there. Uh, but we'll, we'll go backwards. I want to start with this season because it's been a really fun year to watch you mash. And uh, how much have you enjoyed just having things really click for you on the offensive side of things and uh, being able to mash 20 home runs at the double A level while, you know, continuing to improve behind the dish as well. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a definitely a, uh, it was a fun season this year. Um, just going through it, coming from last year where I obviously struggled and having this season that I had this year, obviously it's a, a great step in the right direction. And I have to give some props to Sprague because in spring, he said, just get up on the plate and try and just try and mash homers to right center. And I fell in love with it. I said, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Like, thank you for telling me that, right? Because ever since I got drafted, they said, you need to learn how to hit the other way. Mm-hmm. So this, so all of last year, I'm like, all right, let's hit the other way where it didn't really work for me. So this year they said, you know what, just pull the ball and hit like, you know how to hit and it all clicked and I'm happy that it did. And it's been a great year. So can you talk about from the, the swing fundamental side where you are kind of opened up to be able to do what you do best, which is hit the ball really hard to your pull side. That's something you, you know, did with great success through college. And uh, obviously it was, it was a big reason why you were drafted was that power. Did you feel like you were handcuffed a bit power wise by trying to almost guide the ball the other way? Like how was that able to open up, uh, I guess your production and your consistency? Cause it's not just the power that yeah. came back in full force. It was also just the all around game, right? Getting on base at the highest clip, starting to put the ball in play more consistently mm-hmm. overall. You know, what did that unlock for you beyond just the home runs to right center? I mean, it unlocked a lot because last year they also took away my leg kick. So my timing was, they took away the leg kick to get the contact up more because yeah. they said I struck out a lot, which I do and it's okay, but whatever. So they took the leg kick away and the fundamentals of that, it felt so awkward to me. Yeah. I didn't really feel right. So this pass off season, that's when I brought back my leg kick and I said, look, I'm going to hit with this leg kick. I hope you guys don't get too mad about it, but this is how it's going to be. And as soon as I got a spring, that's when I had that talk with Sprague and he loved it and moving on from there, it went really well. It's funny because that's actually something I was exactly going to ask you about because I looked at the video from 2021 and I remember watching ABs from then and then looking at the video from this year. Generally, when you see guys put it together to another level, it's usually a, hey, they simplified things. Maybe they did eliminate the leg kick. And, mm-hmm. and every hitter's different. It's not cookie cut, right? And yeah. uh, But that is usually the case for some guys, but it seemed like for you, you know, getting back to what works again seemed yeah. to be what, what really resonated. Well, what beyond the leg kick, you talk about timing and and also, do you feel like that leg kick kind of helped you stay back? Because you're looking at your ability to lift the ball yes. a little bit more frequently, stay in your backside. Like, was that something that, that was a factor in it as well beyond timing? Yes, the leg kick for sure helped the timing. And then another thing we worked on all this season with my hitting coach in Midland was quick back, quick back and stay on top of the ball. So he has some drills that I would do and it really just quickened up my bat speed. And I think that has a lot to do with my success because I think last year trying to go the other way and trying to guide it, I had a slow bat and it caught up to me. 
It's it's so interesting because every hitter seems to go through, you know, different types. of. Yeah, you got to kind of find your find what ticks for you. And I'm glad I did find it. So working our way back, because I always look at guys that were selected, you know, in your draft class in 2019. And I, I think it's one of the more interesting times to get drafted, given that yeah. most guys, especially college guys, but even high school players as well that are selected in that draft you're going to play a part of a season and it's probably either going to be, if you're a high school guy at the complex, maybe you get a taste of short season. If you're a college guy, for the most part, it's either short season or low way. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, the season's over. We were just talking yep. before we were recording about how it's such a long year and they're not trying to run you into the ground right off the bat. So you get a little bit of a taste of, of short season ball, right? And then uh, probably geared up and ready to go for your first full season in 2020. And of course we know what happens there. It gets canceled uh, for, for that to be your first you know, year of development, first full year of development in professional baseball and have that taken away from you. You know, how did you manage that? And how did you really uh, try to stay focused and stay heading in the right direction uh, as, you know, an older college guy that's trying to keep staying on your, you know, your progress? Okay. 2020 was tough for sure, as it was for everyone. But I remember just being in spring training and they're like, yep, everyone's going home. And we were like, what? So we all went home and me personally, I did. I was just like, all right, we're not going to go back for another month at least. So I just shut it down. I didn't throw it and hit, which is funny because like two weeks later, they called me and said, hey, you're going to the old site in about four days. So that's another panic mode piece. But ended up ramping it up. I was right back to where I was. And I was in the old site 2020. And I honestly, I loved it because I was with all these older guys and to be able to pick their brains and learn from yeah. them was, I couldn't thank them enough because I, I did learn a lot from them. Yeah. I was going to ask you because I felt like, again, it's a, it's a different situation for every prospect and every player, but I look at the alt site and I, I imagine catchers just being able to bounce off of, you know, guys that have been doing it for a while and being able to mm-hmm. talk to guys there. And of course on the hitting side and everything beyond that, uh, how much did that, alternate site experience help you uh and and how different was it from maybe the traditional development that you would undergo by just playing through a full season with your peers versus you know being challenged at the alternate site uh and also having a little bit more of that you know sounding board opportunity to to just go back and forth with big leaguers that you probably would not have you know beside you during the course of a minor league season besides a couple rehab appearances Mm -hmm. yeah just the all site, it was every every single guy you would talk to throughout the day is wanting to get better. Whereas if you're just going through a season, it's more selfish based, maybe, and everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. But the all site, everyone's trying to win together as Oakland. And they knew I was a young kid. They knew I was just drafted. So everyone's kind of telling me, hey, this is kind of the right thing to do. And it was, all, I felt like a, close to a major leaguer as I could being at that old site. And that's all you can really ask for. Do you feel like what you showed there and, and what you were able to do at the old site instilled that confidence in Oakland to, you know, kind of fast track you there last year, uh-huh. make the jump all the way to double A. And I mean, that's, that's a big, big jump. And I, I always yeah, wish to they told guys, me that they, yeah. they, they warned me for it. Yeah. Cause I can imagine, right. I mean, especially everybody I talk to that's, that's come on the podcast, every player, uh, whether 
just talking in passing, they always say that the big jump is double A because you uh-huh. end up getting all these bullpen arms, even that there's just not as much of that drop off, right? Where it's just the talent. It's almost like every single arm that comes in, you're like, man, this guy's good. Uh, whereas yeah. in the minors or the lower minors and low A, high A, maybe you get to the bullpen, there's a bit more of a drop off and guys just seem to command their stuff better and double. How big of a leap was that for you? And uh, I know they warned you, like you said, but you know, how mentally yes. prepared were you for that massive leap that you would have never really had? if it weren't for the mm-hmm. unimaginable circumstances of our world in that year before. It was a big leap, but at the time I didn't really realize how big of a leap it was because I had, it was me, Logan Davidson and mm-hmm. maybe another one from that were was on Vermont with me. And we made the same jump and never going into a full season, not knowing What's going to happen? How long is this going to feel? Is this going to be the most brutal thing ever? But it ended up, I mean, it wasn't terrible. I learned a lot and I'm grateful for it. But at the end of the day, I mean, I learned and I got better. So so you talk about the the swing adjustments and, and the, the fundamental side of things uh, that you were able to really make those big improvements and you know looking at 93 games as we're recording this 93 games on the dot eight home runs last year 20 home runs this year uh, of mm-hmm. course almost every statistical category you you have just improved drastically uh but uh, beyond just the swing adjustments and the physical side of it you know how much were you able to improve maybe on the mental side of things uh, after having those struggles that you mentioned in 2021 Coming back in 2022 and building off of that, were, were there any things that you, know, you really kind of thought about or worked on on the mental side of the game to to really be able to endure another season? Because baseball is so frustrating. For sure, so the mental the mental side is a is a lot to do with it. I'd say it's a, a lot more to do with it than the fundamentals, me personally. But last year, obviously, hitting terrible. I, I felt like I had a good mindset, which looking back now, I know that I didn't, but it's just experience, like just learning from how you failed and when you were having success and you kind of just figure out what makes you tick. And what made me tick is what Sprague told me and go up there, know you're better than everyone and hit a homer to right field. And that kind of made my whole mental would just clear up and be able to just go play my, my game that I know how to play. So you still kind of split time up between first base and, and behind the dish. And that's something mm-hmm. that I'm always fascinated into is making the jump uh, across levels is a lot more overwhelming for a catcher because you're also, you know, handling more advanced pitchers. You're also mm-hmm. more challenged and have more on your plate than anybody else. Really. Uh, how have you developed on the defensive side of things? And, you know, how have you felt about uh, your ability to catch behind the dish and then also just getting acclimated to more reps at first base as well? Yes. I, I grew up catching, so I love catching. I always want to catch and, first base is just kind of like, hey, you can play first base today, kind of like a day off. Not really, but I love first base too. So it's, it's a win-win for me, but catching and first base from what I've learned is catching, dealing with the pitcher staff, making sure every one of them gets what they need. Everyone wants to throw to you, knows if they throw a dirt ball, it's going to get blocked. And last year I thought I did a really good job, but, 
the fundamentals of it were a little off. I wasn't making as good of blocks or receiving as well as I thought. So I worked worked on that in the off season. And then this year, from what I've been told from the pitching staff is I've, I look a lot better and I've gotten better. So that's good to hear for me. But as a catcher, all I worry about is taking care of the pitchers. Yeah. And that's my number one priority. And at first it's just block down the ball and touch the bag, you know? <laughs> so building on a little bit further on the catching side of things, you know, what, what are you somewhat told uh, is the, the priority behind the dish, right? Cause I always find that fascinating is, you know, how much of a priority is placed on working with your pitchers, how much is, block just yeah. controlling the running game which has become a little bit less important i think as you know the running I and mean, we've seen guys running wild in the minors but you get to the big league level and you know stolen bases continue to become a little mm-hmm. bit more obsolete though some slight rule adjustments i may you know incorporate a little bit more running in the game we'll see uh but you know what what are those things that really come down from the top where they're like you know this is what we want you to focus on as you develop into mm-hmm. you know big league catcher potentially priority is pitch calling doing scouting reports on all the hitters, knowing how to get the hitters out. That's priority number one. Priority number two is receiving and blocking. And three is throwing. Yeah. So like you said, a lot more bags are being stolen. And that's kind of, it's still a big part as a catcher, but the bigger focus is pitch calling and receiving. Which, you know, I love that side of it, too, and the strategizing. How much time do you really spend, you know, looking at at the hitters you have coming up and, uh, you know, the schedule ahead? It might be a little bit easier now that you have those longer series against singular teams. Yes. You see a lot of familiar faces. Has mm-hmm. that made your job a little bit more easier? Yes. At least make it a bit more, uh, I would say, you, you get more sample size. Uh, you get to see a lot more of the same guys. For sure. And being here last year, I, I know a majority of them, but every Sunday or Monday I'll, I'll, I'll get on the computer and study the hitters for an hour or two. And that does a lot, but I, I learn more of going through the game and I pitch by pitch, I can see what they're doing and how to get them out. And I think that's just come over time and experience of catching so much. So going even further back now to to your collegiate career at, at Georgia Tech and a rambling wreck. Yeah, I, I'm I'm most fascinated by the amount of catchers that that school turns out. Um, oh yeah, can, catcher can you can you speak to that at all? I mean, how much of that is coincidence? <laughs> how much of that is is actually? It's funny because when they were recruiting me, they didn't really call it catcher you they 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 said hey we've had veritech we've had weeders we've had some really good catchers come through and the recruiter was brian prince and he was an ex-catcher big league catcher so i'm like so even my dad was like why would you not go to the school like everyone has catcher background and i agreed with him and i fell in love with the campus city so end up going there and Joey Bart's there, which I knew I played travel ball with them. So I knew I was probably going to play first the first year or two. We had Tyler Stevenson was committed there. He didn't even go. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's (laughs) big league catcher for the Reds. I mean, and it it keeps it just keeps filling and filling in. And I didn't realize how many good catchers there were until about my sophomore junior year when I mean, they started calling it catcher you. So it's it's cool to come from that. But when they were recruiting me, it really wasn't catcher you yet. It really hadn't hit that. Hit that. It hasn't hit that. Yeah. 
it felt but like I, you know, I think it's funny. Yeah, it, it's pretty wild because I think you know when Joey Bart started to get a lot of those comparisons to some of the guys that came through Georgia Tech mm-hmm. before him. I think that really started to to have it resonate, and then of course you you end up just filling right in. It's like oh, how are they gonna? Yeah, and then Parada right after me. catcher, and then and then Parada right after. Yeah, I'm mean, who's gonna be the next? Whoever is the starting catcher, might as well draft them in the first round. I mean, so so do you think that's how I look at it? Yeah, what do you what do you think caused that? Is that the coaching staff really leaning into a strength? Is it just people wanting to to follow kind of a rite of passage here, right? If I'm a catcher, clearly good catchers have come it out. Could, of it. it could be for me. It was the fact that the background from the guy who recruited me was catching, and every big name he named out of Georgia Tech was mostly a catcher. So it, I kind of it just clicked for me. And so your experience there, you talk about, you know, not catching right away and, and having that patience because, I mean, you, you, you're a guy that could hit well enough to, to jump right into the lineup as, as a mm-hmm. freshman and you knew that. And uh, what was it like trying to kind of wait your turn behind the dish? Because it's one of those situations where you're watching one of the best catchers in the country uh, and Jimmy yeah. Bart just continue to, to be one of the most impressive catchers we've seen in a long time all around behind the dish there at Georgia Tech. But then you know, still trying to feel like you can lean into your role, do what you can, and then wait for your turn. Uh, what was that whole experience like? And and what was it like kind of sharing, uh, I guess, a, a lineup and sharing a position? Because you yeah. still did get some opportunity back there uh, with, you know, one of the best out there. Yeah, as a freshman coming in, I honestly, I didn't care about catching all that much. All I wanted to do was play. As a freshman, I just want to make the starting lineup on opening day. And if it's at first base, DH, third, whatsoever. So within the first couple of months of being a freshman, they said, hey, look, obviously Joey's the guy. You're back up. You'll catch a couple weekdays, blah, blah, blah. You need to get really good at first base because you can hit. So I said, first base? Like, question mark? Like, I've never played first base. So, okay, fine. Get a first baseman glove. Go through the whole gig. Learn it. I Actually, I don't even start opening day i played the saturday but anyway i end up beating out the guy who was there but playing first and being able to watch joey and how he did everything that he did it honestly was good to shadow him because i learned a lot from it just just how not how he handled his business everyone knew he was the man he was he was humbled and he did everything the right way for the most part so it was it was good to have that guidance. And then when it was my turn, I knew everything to do. It wasn't a shock to me. So a, a really cool uh, player that someone I've just kind of followed for a long time because I just, his career fascinates me. And, and I think he's going to be one hell of a pitcher at the big league level. But, you know, I played against Xavier Curry. Yes. I love my circuit. boy. I played nice. against him in the summer circuit, uh, you know, when he was on the East Cobb Astros and he was playing shortstop, yep. right? So, when when I yeah. when I was following the ACC, when you know my playing days were done, a couple of my really good friends went to Duke and a couple other ACC schools, and I'm seeing Curry on the bump, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, when did this happen? And yeah. so I just naturally started following, and you know the rest was history. We know how good of a pitcher he is, but mm-hmm. uh, that's a guy you worked with, right? His battery mate quite a bit, and uh, when he first went to Georgia Tech, more of yeah, we were on the same travel team. Um, we were on the East Cobb Yankees, and he was a shortstop and he yeah. only would come in and close games every now and then and would throw 95. <laughs> and when we got to tech, we already had middle infielders. So they said, you're just going to pitch, right? 
because I honestly couldn't tell you why they did that. I think they were going to say you're going to be a two-way, but he ended up dominating pitching. So they're like, well, you're a pitcher. Like there's no other way around it. Makes opening day freshman year. I mean, during fall, he was, nobody could hit him. He was unstoppable. Throwing high heaters to everyone with a banging curveball. See you later. So it was, it's cool to see him have the success that he had. And the fact that he already debuted is even cooler. So you worked with him plenty, right? The next year, right? Where Mm -hmm. you started to, to be behind the dish pretty much every, every single day or or most Mm -hmm. of your games. And, and he was, if I'm not mistaken, either your ace or or one of your best starters. Yeah. He was always the ace for us. What was it like, you know, as a guy, you know, watching him develop on the mound and being able to work with him there and you know, working with high level pitchers in your collegiate career, uh, how much did that help you kind of going into professional baseball? Yeah, because it helped me a lot because our staff and including him, they had big league stuff. So catching him made my hands better, made my eyes better. So going into pro season, obviously I wasn't shocked by catching 95 plus, which my hands are good enough to do that. So that's really wasn't a big stress factor for me, but I think calling pitches was the one thing that I had to learn a little bit. Cause at tech, the pitching coach would call him for the most part. It was probably 60, 40. He would sometimes I'd be like, all right, you got it. Go, go call him. But just learning that side of it is the biggest part for me. And just overall, your experience at Georgia Tech, because at the ACC, Loved especially it. through those years, yeah. was loaded. Georgia Tech mm-hmm. is one of the coolest places, I think. I mean, the, the stadium's awesome. The area's awesome. It's a, it's a great school, obviously. Um, beyond that, though, the ACC through those years, I mean, it's always really good baseball. Oh, yeah. But through those years, I think, I again, I followed closely because – graduated high school in 16 mm-hmm. a lot of my friends were playing through there and just watching i had no idea now looking back how many big leaguers i was just watching by checking in on their games day to day um you know were there were there any moments where you really realized how loaded the acc were it was and, and any players that be, be beyond curry and any teammates yeah were, you're like whoa okay this guy yeah we play. knew yeah we knew stack because when we go play clemson or UNC, Florida State, all the big boys, NC State. I mean, they got five, seven guys that are top five draft prospects. So, I mean, the competition was always really good, and I'm glad that it was. So, pro ball wasn't as big as a shock. But I love Tech. I love the ACC. I'm so glad that I went there. It was an amazing opportunity for me. Was there anywhere else you considered? Uh, before before I considered uh, Clemson yeah but I said no because all of my friends on summer ball were going to tech our summer ball team was like a Georgia Tech feeder team almost there was like eight of us so I said you know what I'm going with y'all I'm going to Georgia or Georgia Tech (laughs) that's how it all happened that's pretty awesome and uh going now moving back forward to to what you're looking at for next year uh, and, and mm-hmm. what some of your goals are moving forward. Uh, you build off of what has been, you know, this awesome season overall, you, you feel like you've, you've found that. I feel like that piece of, okay, I can be myself. I can be the hitter I want to be. Uh, and, and I now saw that that led to success. Uh, and, and you got to feel pretty good about what you've done this year. Mm-hmm. Where are you at mentally after this strong season and, and, 
you know, where are you hoping to be after this year and moving forward as you, know, you imagine you're going to start next year in triple uh, and be, you know, knocking on the door of a, of a big league debut. Yeah. So my goal is to train, train, train as much as I can this off season, come into spring big league spring training and make a great impression start AAA, like you said, and hopefully get to the big leagues as fast as I can. Are there any specific aspects? Oh, sorry to cut you off. I, I wasn't sure. No, you you're good. Any specific aspects of your game that you're, you're looking to focus on? Just to, everything that I'm doing right now, just to crisp it up. The, the pitch recognition, not swinging as many bad pitches, um, keeping my, staying on top of the ball, knowing what counts are good, just, all the aspects of it just enhance, get stronger, get bigger, get faster, the whole gig. Can you talk a little bit more about the the idea of getting on top of the baseball? Because what I think is fascinating yeah, so. about it is last year, ground ball rate was around 52%. This year, it's around, I think you've slashed it by about six or 7%, but that's not necessarily mm-hmm. you know what you mean by getting on top of the baseball. But just for, for the listener, can you kind of explain yeah, what so getting on top you? of the getting on top of the baseball means so when you have a guy throwing 95 and it's not a two seam, it's a four seam and the ball, when it comes in, it looks like it's writing, right? It's going a little up. So if you swing level with it or think you're swinging level with it, you're just going to foul it straight back. So when you think hit the top half of the baseball, you'll actually end up hitting the center of it. Yep. So that's what that's what people say when you keep fouling balls off straight back or even straight up. It's get on top of the ball, get on top of the ball, just to equal it out. It's just a it's a mental thought exactly. to be quicker and stay through the baseball longer. And would you attribute the the cut down on the ground balls to the adjustments you've made with your lower half and and the pre swing moves that you yes. make, being able to kind of get that lower half more consistent? For sure, because. With my leg kick, I have better timing. I feel like I see the ball better, which makes my confidence better. So they all correlate. And I mean, it is what it is. And I'm glad that I've made the changes that I needed to make and they've worked out for me. Couple quick more rapid fire questions. The you talk about the four seamers with ride, and I that's something I always am you know, writing about whether it's at the big league level or, you know, also just looking through prospects and you know, some of the guys that have some of the most dominant fastballs, they're typically those fastballs with an induced vertical break, that high spin that mm-hmm. just doesn't look like it's ever going to drop. Right. And I, we see guys at the major league level dominating with 90 to 92. You know, I always look at like Nestor Cortez and it's because of that, that ride yeah. to it. How much has that taken over the game in the minor leagues and, and how, how almost annoying is it to see that all the yeah. time? Now you've got your game plan, but I feel like it's really just taken over uh, baseball at, at every level. Yeah, it's a big deal because if you throw 92, but you have a really good high spin rate, it makes your ball look 95, 96. So when the guy is throwing 96 and he's got good spin, then if he can put the ball at the very top of the zone all day, then he's going to have success because not many hitters are going to go out there and just rake high spin 96, like for doubles, but it is tough. And that's why when every day you got to think you have to stay on top, you have to, you have to stay on top of it because if you don't, you'll get blown up and you'll get exposed. 
and and how much of it is is laying off of that? I, I marvel at Mike Trout, who you know that that is a yeah blue another zone big for part him. of this is just don't swing at it. Yeah, if it's if it's up, don't swing at it, and you'll have some umpires who won't call the high pitch at all, and those are the days you're like yes because it's going to be a good one and then you'll have days where they are calling and you're like ah, well we might have to swing at this if we get yeah. two strikes and it's going to be one of those days but that's baseball um something that also stood out to me is you hit lefties really well this year um, <laughs> i did that at college too everyone always were like how do you do this it's it's funny because I think most people look at a player with your profile, right? Power, you know, you mm-hmm. talk about you strike out a little bit, sure. But like most guys with that profile are gonna struggle against lefties, but that's not yeah. the case with you. And uh you've hit lefties really well. And and that's something that I think helps you uh when you're talking about being an everyday player. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's guys that have some of the most dramatic splits that you can't even put them out there in the lineup because they're so uncomfortable against lefties. You said that you've done that since Georgia Tech. So is that just more of a natural thing for you? Um, is it just never really been much of a challenge uh, compared to some other guys? Yes, I don't, I don't know left? what it is. But every time I'm facing a lefty, I feel like my right shoulder is always going to stay closed. Like I'm not going to fly open. I don't know. Something about it when I see a lefty and I know it's fastball slider, I can just get on, get on the plate, make him uncomfortable and – they're going to throw me something I can hit. Yeah. For the listener, I mean, 237, 402, 487 slash line left on left with a 20% yeah. walk rate and a 28% K rate. I mean, like that's, that's yeah. big time. That's a, it's a big time slash line right there. And it's so funny because I'll be coming up to, to bat and there's a righty pitching and then they'll call it like late in the game and they'll call time and put a left hand. <laughs> and all of my coaches are like, do they not look? at the stats and then I'll go up and walk or get a hit and, and we all just laugh about it. But I would, so when I'm looking in at the lefty, I just, I can't pull off of it. Whereas yeah. as a righty, I'm more comfortable of doing that to try and pull it. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, that definitely makes sense. And, and what yeah. you're going to see as a lefty more so from, from most righties that have the offering is, is a change up kind of fading away from you. Yeah. Right? So, so you got to change up the brutal to hit sliders yeah. i can i can deal with so that's Makes another sense. part of it I, you don't see many left on left change-ups no 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 not yeah. at all although you need some freak guys now that'll that'll throw four <laughs> different pitches yeah. At you. yeah if you throw me a left on left change up here that my hat there you yeah, go that, that's good fine. job <laughs> that's yeah. fine um so beyond that kind of leaning into that a little bit more uh some of the most impressive or, or difficult arms that you face this year. I always love just hearing from, from guys that are living it because, you know, we see baseball America, we see all the prospect write-ups, but I want to hear from the guys that are actually in the box living it. And, and you know, maybe some yeah. of the guys that have been more difficult at bats for you uh, this season or somebody that might just be, you know, sneaky challenging that you may not think. It's yeah. Right. There's only one guy I can think of that. I was like, this guy's got some really good stuff, and that was Bobby Miller from for oh, yeah. Tulsa. Oh yeah, because he would throw the high heaters, and then he would throw back foot curveballs, and disgusting. <laughs> you would you would hope he misses middle, and if you miss it, then you're done. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. You get you get one to two pitches to hit facing Bobby Miller, and if you miss him, then he's going to get you out. Another ACC guy. Yeah, there you go. Look at that. There you go. They churn him out, but. Uh, beyond that now on the hitting side yeah who's been maybe a more difficult hitter to game plan for as as a catcher have you had anything that stands out maybe not uh 
Not many hitters have really been up there, and and I just can't get them out with the pitcher of ours. There's definitely some good hitters, but none of where. I'm trying to think, no one from early Tulsa, which all now. Yeah, they've got a lot of guys that can that can thump it, but you, they can you, thump you it, but it's. It's not the Juan Soto, like, what do we do to get this guy out? I mean. Yeah, there's no, like, Mike Trouts. I yeah. can't really pick one for you. Now, I wish I about, could. What about within your organization, you know, being able to play with you – know, the one thing that the A's have done over the last year is is replenish the farm system with a lot of talent. That's what happens when you, mm-hmm. you know, trade away talented players. You're going to get a nice haul in. And uh, a lot of young, very talented players, including yourself, throughout this Oakland system. And uh, have there been any guys that, you know, teammates of yours that have stood out and you're like, man, this guy can yeah. talk about Curry. Zach Geloff. Geloff? Zach Geloff. Another ACC guy. <laughs> I can't stop naming ACC guys. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But he, ever since I saw him in big league spring training, I'm like, who, who is this guy? Just hammering baseballs, picking the ball at shortstop, throwing it across just, and I actually pick his brain a good bit because he's got a good mindset and good approach and he does everything right on the baseball field. So he's a good guy to shadow. What about on the pitching side? Pitching. Let's see. Um, Jeff Criswell, my boy. Yeah. Nasty. He's gonna be. He's gonna be a big leaguer soon. He's. He's got some things to tweak up here and there, which is really the only thing he needs to tweak up is his slide step. Because in Oakland A's, if you if you don't have a one three five or quicker to the plate you will never pitch in the big leagues wow which he yeah which he knows that and he's been working on it and it's getting a lot better but his stuff is just plus plus as well he has a the, one of the better change-ups i've seen um good slider cutter whatever you want to call it and he just competes it's fun to catch him final topic for you here and i don't like to get political but uh mlb new rules and I know like we, we've heard a lot about the shift for a while and we've heard a lot about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pitch clock and all those things. I, for one, love the pitch clock because I love it. Thank you. I love and it. I imagine at you first, do as a catcher. I hated it. Yeah. At first I hated it. I will say it was, I felt rushed at the, like everyone, because the pitchers were panicking too. They're like, Oh my God, like deep breathing. Like I'm out of breath. Like this is going way too quick, but Within two weeks, I will say everyone was like, I absolutely love this. It's because it's, you're playing three hour games max. And and I also think, you know, beyond the duration of the game, it's it's just the tempo of it, right? Like where Yeah, it, it, it just it, it's it goes so so fluently. Do you think that it, it could really foster more of that you know audience to consistently watch baseball games with with the For sure the tempo goes because that's what i've been trying to tell everybody i'm like I, I know a lot of the listeners on our just baseball show on our big league podcast i'm like i know you don't watch minor league games but if you do i'm telling you the pitch clock is a lot of fun i think that's a no-brainer that's great yes uh, shifting side i mean you just talked about how you're you're being encouraged now to pull the ball more and love uh, it so you you must love it <laughs> i love everything that's going on right now <laughs> yeah, you're all in on that. And I don't have to yeah. ask you about minor leaguers having representation here and, and being at the, I mean, uh, that's a no brainer as well. That's a great thing for baseball as a whole. Um, yeah. So the only other one that I have for you, which this is one that I'm, there might be a little bit more nuance to is, you know, the pickoff limitations to first base. Right. And, and that's the, those rules yes. have been 
kind of strange. I think it's if you if you throw over twice, the third yeah. throw over, if you don't get him out, he automatically advances. That one, I, I, yes. I am a little. That bit one is a little fishy. I will say. Yeah. What because I think I think they just need to change it to like four. I think if we had four, it'd be fine. Because you'll have. Because it's going to be tough. Because say you're in the World Series and you get a guy on who is just going to steal. You know he's going to steal. Or now you pick off twice. Okay, now he knows that I'm most likely not going to pick off, or else now I just I just move in the back on my own. So it helps a lot of base runners. I bet base runners love it. Obviously, I don't steal bases, but yeah. the guys who do steal bases love it because they'll just tease you to pick off. And then once you pick off once or twice, they're gone. And I don't know how that's going to play out in the big leagues because these pitchers, they don't want you to get a bag on them. So if you're taking away a pickoff or any sort of thing to keep them stationary, that might be a bad thing, but I don't mind it because it also does speed up the game too. So yeah, I have... It's kind of like a love hate on yeah. that aspect. But the rest are no brainers. The, the, the rest are, are no brainers. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I love to hear that, man. And uh, just the, the the final question here, and then we'll we'll, we'll call it a day, and I'll, I'll let you go. Is uh, you just finished up this year, and I mean everything is is really gone. It, it, it is as well as you, you could have wanted, probably, right? If there's one thing that you could have done a little bit different, or one thing that you'd like to to see level up even more so we talk about just wanting to continue your progress but mm -hmm. one specific aspect of your game that you'd love to to add maybe it's stealing 20 bags next year but no realistically like what's <laughs> something that you'd like to see kind of hit the next level for you as you've just improved across the board this season yeah i would say um god do you want me to go defensively or offensively or does it matter does it, one that just sticks out to you more than anything I'd have to say my strikeouts because as much as I say it doesn't bother me and I guess I don't have to hitting 20 homers and striking out this much is not that big of a deal. But if I can make more contact and get a few more hits, I think that was going to be awesome for me. So I would say pitch recognition, not swinging at as many bad pitches. And sounds good to me. Yeah, that usually so, helps, right? And, and yeah, it's, it's so. easier said than done when you got the high speed ball. It is. It is. We got Bobby Miller throwing ninety five at you, and then tunneling <laughs> right off of that. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, I mean, Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time, man. And again, congratulations on an awesome season. Really excited to see. I appreciate uh, how you it. Thank keep you. pushing forward to the big leagues, and I hope you have a great off season. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.